Welcome, everybody, to Podcast Oregon, the show that brings you a higher perspective on the world of cannabis. Coming to you from the world-famous Portland Cannabis Museum in southwest Portland, Oregon. This episode is brought to you by the good folks at Open Vape, using emerging technology and scientific innovation to create one of the leading brands in the industry. Open Vape reminds us that it's what's inside that counts. And also by Canagard Security, specializing in designing and installing custom security systems specifically for the cannabis industry. Canagard Security knows your industry and has the technology and the manpower to keep it safe and secure. I'm your host, Andy Gervich, and these are headlines. 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 Skinny weed? As cannabis becomes more mainstream, so unfortunately do all of the ridiculous ways to market it to a bruised and assaulted public. So fat shamers, get ready for your diet pot. That's right, it's gaining, no pun intended, in popularity and may already be on the counter at your favorite dispensary right next to the brownies, cakes, cookies, candy, and other delicious edibles, unfortunately. Weed is well known for its ability to induce hunger, but there is a compound in cannabis called THCV that does just the opposite. Some pot producers are now trying to breed strains of the plant that are rich in THCV as a way to stave off the notorious munchies. Researchers with GW Pharmaceuticals have discovered THCV can increase the amount of energy the body burns, as well as have an impact on the level of fat in the body and its response to insulin. There's already several strains of cannabis on the market that are high in THCV, including XJ13, Blue Dream, and Durban Poison. No word yet on the new skinny weed will allow smokers to burn off the pounds from the treats they've already eaten, but with science, we can only hope, right? Right, right. Next, the nation's largest military veterans organization is officially calling on the federal government to reschedule cannabis. The American Legion, which has more than two million members, passed a resolution at its annual convention recently urging Congress to, quote, amend legislation to remove cannabis from Schedule One and reclassify it as a drug with potential medical value, end quote. Dr. Sue Sisley is a researcher for the first federally approved study examining the benefits of medical cannabis for people with PTSD. She believes the American Legion's support will propel the debate about this issue. Calling the resolution a, quote, historic shift in public policy, end quote, Sisley believes that the Legion must strive to uncover new treatments for PTSD, opioid addiction, suicide, and other difficult problems with which returning vets continue to struggle. The American Legion's call for rescheduling comes less than a month after the DEA rejected petitions to reclassify cannabis from its current status as a Schedule I drug under federal law. Medical marijuana access for military veterans is an issue that continues to gain public and bipartisan support, however. In May of 2016, the U.S. House approved an amendment introduced by none other than Oregon Senator Earl Blumenauer to let veterans get medical cannabis recommendations from VA doctors. Stay tuned to Podcast Oregon as this story develops. This week on the program, folks, Burning One at Burning Man. Correspondent Courtney Sherwood explores the bizarre and often turbulent presence of cannabis at the most infamous festival in North America. 
and correspondent Holly Goodman and producer Mike take a trip to the Oregon State Fair to visit the first cannabis exhibit in the history of the nation. All of that and more after these words. Located in southwest Portland, Local Leaf is one of Oregon's finest medical and recreational marijuana dispensaries. With over 40 strains of premium flour, concentrates, edibles, and a host of glass and other products, Local Leaf is a one-stop shop for all of your cannabis needs. Local Leaf is also home to the world-famous Portland Cannabis Museum. With one of the largest collections of cannabis memorabilia, art, and curiosities in the country. Come in between 10 a.m. and 9 p.m. seven days a week to ease your pain and brighten your day. Look us up on Leafly and on the web at LocalLeaf420.com. Where? LocalLeaf420.com. See you there. On the Block Radio is a weekly show that explores the relationship between creativity and transformation. OTB goes deep into the edges of consciousness, art, race, class, and gender. New episodes drop every Sunday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Ontheblockradio.com. Listen, engage, transform. Welcome back to the show, everybody. And now, Burning One at Burning Man. Correspondent Courtney Sherwood takes a trip to the hippie Mecca to explore the controversial role of cannabis at the nation's largest transformative festival. This is Burning Man, the eclectic experiment in temporary community that draws tens of thousands of people to the remote Nevada Black Rock Desert every year for music, meditation, nudity, costumes, sex, solitude, drugs, sobriety, and as many other individual reasons as there are participants. I'm here to volunteer, explore art, and have fun, and I've also agreed to talk to people I meet about cannabis at Burning Man for Podcast Oregon. They, uh, the friend became paranoid out of all the illegal drugs they had with them. The marijuana was the thing that would attract the attention of police dogs. Yes, you know, um, and apparently it's the thing that police just really love getting people for. Probably smoke ganja like once every year for two years, but I work with it. Um, so I trim ganja and I support growers in their outdoor gardens. Um, yeah, so I work with the plant a lot. I just choose not to consume it in that way. And I usually smoke weed every day since I was 12 years old. That was Josh, Lady Blair, and Katie, three of about a dozen or so people I spoke to at Burning Man about their cannabis use. I met people who use it as medicine, who use it to party, who treat it as sacred, who don't use the stuff at all. And I encountered a lot of fear. That should be a familiar feeling across most of the country. But living in Oregon, I've forgotten the paranoia that comes from smoking a bowl when the cops don't approve. Pot is both federally illegal and prohibited in Nevada. And Burning Man is held on federal land. 
I kept hearing stark reminders that freewheeling Burning Man, a place where people go to shed inhibitions and live outside of society's constraints, is still a place of rules. Producer agrees that the production will contain no images or sound of nudity, partial nudity, sexual activity, the use of illicit drugs, or any act that might be considered in violation of criminal laws. That's right. Before I started taping, I had to get permission. I signed a long paper contract that made me promise not to tape anybody using, quote, illicit drugs, including pot. Many people I talked to were nervous about federal and local drug laws and would not agree to go on tape. One woman from Oregon told me her car had been searched at the gate. Illegally, she said. Cops found the pot she'd hoped to smoke and seized it, issuing her an expensive ticket. Later, I met Canadians who had purchased pre-rolled joints in Washington State on the drive down to Burning Man. One pulled out a joint in the middle of a big crowd and lit it, only to feel a firm hand on his shoulder. It was a federal officer. He was searched and given a ticket, then released. Little wonder that Josh shared this story of paranoia he encountered at Burning Man 2015, as told to him by a friend. Last year, him and his friends were leaving Burning Man, and they, uh, the friend became paranoid out of all the illegal drugs they had with them. The marijuana was the thing that would attract the attention of police dogs. Yes, you know, um, and apparently it's the thing that police just really love getting people for since it's easy targets and the pot smokers tend to be cooperative. You know, it's an easier arrest than somebody who's just blasted on meth and hasn't slept in a week. My friend's friend was kid paranoid about the extra weed they had leaving the burn. He got some idea in his head and decided that he would eat the marijuana on the way out so not to have it in the car. And I was all fine and dandy until uh, about oh, two hours later when he became uh, overwhelmingly high and... Uh, threw up out the window and then, you know, forthwith uh, informed my friend that he couldn't drive anymore. <laughs> my friend had to, like, take over the car and, uh, was it your car? Oh, that was it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you remember the story. And the friend basically laid in a sort of pseudo-comatose state for the next six hours before being able to then resume driving. Yikes. I also met a woman who loves weed but was going without at Burning Man because she's a Canadian citizen trying to get a green card to stay in the U.S. She lives in Colorado and could buy marijuana at a local store, but she's afraid that having THC in her blood would make it harder to stay in the country. That's even though she used to have a medical card and to use cannabis to control her chronic pain. But not every pot story I encountered at Burning Man was a downer. I ran into Katie, who lives in Nicaragua. She was vaping oils from a small cartridge a friend had brought from a legal weed state. She loves the oil cartridges that have proliferated in Oregon, Washington, and Colorado, which give her options at Burning Man and beyond. Um, so I, what I've taken to doing is smuggling these cartridges into Nicaragua with me, which is probably not the best choice. However, it's very convenient. But it's been a big change for me. Yeah. And at Burning Man, you got... Andy! Oh, Andy! Andy! Andy, Andy can you At this point, Katie got distracted. She'd seen a sexy friend walk by, and she wanted him to pose for a calendar she was putting together. 
It took a while to pin her down again, but later she confirmed. Oil vape cartridges don't just keep her happy in Nicaragua. They help her consume cannabis at Burning Man. With vape pens, she doesn't worry about the smell or the risk of being noticed by police. But there was also plenty of flour being consumed without drawing law enforcement's notice. Early in the week, at a neighborhood bar, one patron complained that booze was nice, but not her first choice. A few seconds later, a young man appeared with a fresh-packed glass bowl. Another time, late one night, at the end of the week, tired men and women passed a joint around a campfire at a busy intersection. No apparent worry about the cops, and no consequences either. I don't want to give the impression that everyone consumes cannabis or uses any drugs at Burning Man. Here's Lady Blair, who works part-time as a medical cannabis trimmer, but who chooses not to consume. Yeah, I don't think I've ever smoked ganja at Burning Man. Like, for me, the playa is psychedelic enough without any substance at all. Um, so, like, actually, it's been a week now that I've been here at Burning Man, and I haven't partaken in any substances. This November, Nevadans will vote on legal recreational marijuana. But the U.S. Bureau of Land Management is in charge of the Black Rock Desert, where Burning Man is held. Pot will still be illegal on the federal land, no matter what voters decide. This is Courtney Sherwood, reporting on cannabis use at Burning Man for Podcast Oregon. Hey, this is Warren Haynes, and you are listening to PodcastOregon.com. I started smoking weed when I was 13 years old. When I tried it, I was really kind of surprised at the feeling because I was expecting, you know, they say like you get high, but really it isn't like that at all. It's kind of dull in a way. Yeah, it affected my grades in a few different ways. Number one was, (laughs) the big one was I stopped going to class almost entirely. I skipped school all of the time smoking weed with my friends, Um, but it also killed my motivation a lot. I have a very close relationship with my dad, and I didn't like um, keeping that from him, and I wanted to get his perspective on it. He's told me that he wished that I would wait. Um, He talked about his experience in school and how much harder it is to focus when you're stoned all the time, and I found that to be true, and having that conversation with him really helped me pull it back and... um, and be patient. Brought to you by staytruetoyou.org. It was late at night. I was probably 16, 17 years old. My friend sees, um, he takes a, it was a, it was a bag of chips and uh, he just kind of stuffed in his pocket. We got caught, of course. <laughs> the, the AP pulled us into the office like 10 minutes later and it felt so surreal to me. I was like, this isn't me. You know, this isn't this isn't what I do. I had never stolen anything before in my life. I really started questioning myself. The only conclusion that I could come back to was, oh yeah, I smoked weed before I did this. And then instantly, it, everything just pieced together at that point. It was like, I'm doing this because I'm smoking, because I'm high, because I'm under the influence, because I'm smoking marijuana all the time. That's why I'm making all these decisions. And they weren't all bad decisions. But they were decisions, nonetheless, that could have been avoided or that could have been better had I not been under the influence. Brought to you by staytruetoyou.org. Yo, you want sushi? I got sushi. I got the best sushi. This area's dry, man. You know that. I know that. Ain't nobody selling but me. I got tuna. I got salmon. I got sweet shrimp. 
I got the finest sashimi this area has seen in years. You need me and I need you. Let's make this work. You buy some sashimi, I'll throw in some rice paper, man. Totally free, gratis. I got everything. Even California rolls, baby. You wouldn't buy your sushi from this guy. So why would you buy your marijuana from him? MarijuanaDoctors.com is the only service that connects patients with real doctors for medical marijuana recommendations. Simple, confidential, safe. Visit MarijuanaDoctors.com or call 1-866-996-9333. That's MarijuanaDoctors.com, 1-866-996-9333. Book your appointment today. Welcome back to the program, folks. Recently, Oregon became the first state in history to display live cannabis plants at their state fair. We couldn't resist, so we sent producer Mike and correspondent Holly Goodman to Salem, Oregon to see the blue ribbon plants themselves, speak to the organizers, and see if the fried butter sticks, elephant ears, and candied apples taste any better with the inclusion of cannabis in the state fair culture. State fair visitors in Oregon got an up-close look at nine prize-winning cannabis plants this summer. Some traveled hours to Salem just to check out the blue ribbon beauties on display. Others happened through the greenhouse on annual fair outings. Some came to pick up new tricks from the master gardeners. Still, many, many others had never seen living, growing marijuana. Certainly, no one had ever seen it decked out in red, white, and blue ribbons on display at a state fair. When the Oregon State Fair opened for its 151st annual season last August, it became the first in the nation to include live marijuana among the exhibits. Okay, uh, the response has been incredibly overwhelming. Uh, our demographics of the people that are coming in are mostly over the age of 40, and the response is, I've never thought I'd see this in our lifetime. So we've getting everywhere from wheelchairs going through here uh, to um, men and women that have never seen a plant before and are taking. That's Carolyn Morse. She and her husband, Don Morse, who heads the Oregon Cannabis Business Council, helped marijuana find a home at the fair, even if that home wasn't exactly among the prize-winning pies. The exhibit generated a buzz that drew media from around the country and beyond, but it wasn't a fair-sanctioned competition. Instead of being blended in with other agriculture, cannabis was housed in the commercial expo building, among massage chairs and beds and other random retail items. Still, getting plants into the fair at all was a win, Don Morse says. We feel that uh, this is perhaps the first opportunity that many Oregonians have ever had to see a live plant. And in doing all this, we hope to uh, destigmatize uh, cannabis as a whole. The contest was sponsored by the Oregon CBC and judged by marijuana celebrity and self-proclaimed guru Ed Rosenthal. It drew about 60 competitors from around the state. Fair spokesman Don Cox says allowing plants was a natural progression from the Oregon CBC's plantless exhibit in 2015. The Oregon, Business, uh, Oregon Cannabis Business Council was an exhibitor at the 2015 fair in our commercial exhibit space in the Jackman Long. Uh, in 2015, they distributed uh, pamphlets and information there was no uh, negative feedback uh, from any corner in 2015, either from fairgoers or the public or the press. 
So in 2016, when the same group uh, asked permission to display live cannabis plants, of course it was a, 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 a detailed conversation, uh, but leadership at the State Fair uh, did decide to allow the display of nine immature cannabis plants, non-budding, no THC content, non-harvestable, uh, with some conditions. Uh, and those conditions were that it be displayed in the, the uh, translucent greenhouse uh, with security at the door and nobody under the age of 21 permitted in. The idea being that no one under the age of 21 would even see the plants. So those were the conditions. And that's just how it appeared. Nine plants, all still pre-flower, in a Quonset-shaped greenhouse with a bouncer carting at the entry and an additional guard posted at the exit. On the day Potcast visited, master grower Danny Grimms from Uplifted Farms was inside fielding questions and talking pot with curious visitors. His super sour diesel and granddaddy purple took top honors in the sativa and indica groups. Tons of people that have been like, wow, I've never seen a live cannabis plant before. And then I had a lot of moms be like, okay, well, now we know what, you know, we know what to look for if our kids try to grow it in the greenhouse. You know, all the surprises on the faces of people when they walk through, it's great to see them smile and, and uh, see that, you know, that they show this plant. They're like, wow, this is, this is a great plant. Why, you know, why haven't we been doing this before? So that's a, it's a cool thing to see. Not all the visitors were newbies. Grimm's also fielded questions about technique, technology, and navigating the legal permitting process. One pair of brothers, already deep into the development of CBD cough drops, peppered Grimm's with questions about how to make their business legal. The two have spent years perfecting the recipe for a product that begins with their own plants. Yeah, I've been growing it so long, I know how to go that process. It's just, it's doing the legality parts of it now. And, and setting the setting the foundation to do it right? Yeah. I, I'm, he's the outlaw, I'm not. I want to do things right. I want to make sure everything's up to snuff. And I want to make sure that people have an opportunity to be able to get there. And how we're going to get there was through this thing. That guy was, I don't know, I can't remember his name, but he, yeah. he, he explained to us how to go OH whatever A or OLCC and he thinks don't go OLCC yet you know get it get your foot in there make the stuff get it get it uh, examined or tested and then go from there. The pairing of cannabis and the fair may seem as odd a couple as these two brothers side by side one clean cut in a make America great again ball cap and a red polo shirt and the other in long hair and a beard, looking like he's spent decades in the woods perfecting his cultivation techniques. But like these guys, despite appearances, the combination is a natural. But when you think about it, it's not terribly surprising because in 151 years for this classic American state fair, it has actually been a venue for the new and the different and the unusual, and it's always blended that with the, the traditional, the classical. So. Whereas it's always been about agriculture, it's always been about animals, it's always been about quilts and cakes and table decorations, it's always been about carnival rides and all of that. And yet it's also been a venue for um, items such as cannabis, in this case, to be a point of entry to the mainstream of life in Oregon. The Oregon CBC hopes to return next year with an expanded display and slip even deeper into the fabric of the fair and into the mainstream of its culture. For Podcast Oregon, I'm Holly Goodman. Marijuana. Its use is widespread throughout our culture. Marijuana is so prevalent in our culture 
that it has been almost 20 years since we have had a United States president that didn't use marijuana at some point in their life. Bill Clinton was the first U.S. president to admit to trying pot. President Clinton admitted to possessing cannabis, but he wouldn't admit to inhaling it or liking it. When I was in England, I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it, and didn't inhale, and never tried it again. Many people don't want to believe that George Bush used cocaine and marijuana. When candidate Bush was asked about his past drug use, he refused to answer the questions about the indiscretions of his youth, preferring to say that they were irrelevant. The answer to whether he had used marijuana was no longer open to debate when one of his advisors, Doug Weed, released tapes in 2005 that he secretly recorded of phone conversations with George Bush when he was a presidential candidate. Barack Obama was the first U.S. president to openly admit to inhaling marijuana. Look, I, you know, I uh, when I was a kid, I I, uh, uh, I inhaled uh, frequently. That was uh, that was that was the point. I have to ask this question, Member Senator. You are under oath. Did you inhale? Yeah. Well, you know, I was, I was telling somebody asked this question. I said uh, that was the point. Not only did Barack Obama admit to marijuana usage, he also wrote about positive drug experiences in his 1995 book dreams of my father. I spent the last two years of high school in a daze, locking away the questions that life seemed insistent on posing. I kept playing basketball, attended classes sparingly, drank beer heavily, and tried drugs enthusiastically. I discovered that it didn't make any difference whether you smoked reefer in the white classmate's sparkling new van, or in the dorm room of some brother you'd met down at the gym, or on the beach with a couple of Hawaiian kids who had dropped out of school and now spent most of their time looking for an excuse to brawl. Nobody asked you whether your father was a fat cat executive who cheated on his wife, or some laid-off Joe who slapped you around whenever he bothered to come home. You might just be bored, or alone. Everybody was welcome into the club of disaffection. And if the high didn't solve whatever it was that was getting you down, it could at least help you laugh at the world's ongoing folly and see through all the hypocrisy and bullshit and cheap moralism. It is clear that the last three Americans that have risen to the status of President of the United States have committed the crime of possession and use of marijuana. Marijuana use is so common that the National Institute on Drug Abuse says that as of 2003, more than 94 million Americans have tried marijuana at least once. In 2009, 858,408 Americans were arrested for marijuana offenses. Not only do those arrested face imprisonment, they also face a criminal record that will remain with them for the rest of their lives and will be the basis of discrimination in housing, education, and employment. When filling out an application, the question is not, have you ever used marijuana? The question is, did you get caught? Despite the widespread prevalence of marijuana in our nation, 
we have put those that get caught into a permanent underclass and place obstacles in their way for their entire life. Does this benefit our nation? Is it right that we encourage discrimination against those who got caught doing what so many of us have done? Does making it harder for those who got caught to get an education or to find work lower the productivity of our economy? Ask yourself, if Bill Clinton, George Bush, or Barack Obama had been arrested and given a criminal record while they were committing their youthful indiscretions, would they have been able to move on with their lives and become President of the United States? My name is Chris, and I'm a pothead for life, even though I no longer smoke. I am a pothead for life because I have a criminal record for possession of cannabis. You should get a giant vanilla ice on your shoulder. What I see is a SpongeBob tramp stamp. Dude, Ace Freely, butt cheek. Enough said. Stop. Just stop. 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 Anyone can get a tattoo, especially in a place like Portland. But wouldn't you rather get a piece of body art that comes from somewhere better than the drunken ideas of your friends? Evolved Arts with Charlie McGill is an upscale tattoo studio offering all types of modern and traditional tattooing. Look us up on the web at evolvedarts.com. To make an appointment, call us at 503-780-0979. That's 503-780-0979. Drop in to see us at 10 North Shaver in Portland, Oregon. Mention this ad and receive 10% off of your hourly rate with no size limit. That'll do it for this week, folks. Special thanks to Local Leaf Dispensary and the Portland Cannabis Museum for giving us a home and to our underwriters at Open Vape and Canaguard Security. Lots of podcast love to executive producer Michael Johnson and our house band Forbidden Gecko Love, as well as producer Mike DiNapoli for all of their hard work and support for the show. Special thanks also to our correspondents, Courtney Sherwood and Holly Goodman, and of course, you, our devoted audience. Get yourself over to podcastoregon.com to continue the conversation. And remember, folks, if it looks good, smoke it, smoke it, smoke it. Smoke it.